Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Morning, good morning, Lyle. Morning, morning, how are you? Ask me what I'm thankful for. Quick, ask me, ask me, ask me. I'm really well, thanks, Lyle. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a rough night and a bit of a rough morning, but uh, I'm really <laughs> happy I'm here. <laughs> what are you saying for a while? Melbourne oh. people. <laughs> Melbourne people. Yes. Yeah, I see how you did that. <laughs> you, just clarifying there. You've got to get over your hatred of Melbourne. Melbourne is great. I don't hate Melbourne. Mm, yeah, sure. Uh, no, I don't. So how come you like Melbourne people so much? I, I just detest Melbourne. Oh God! <laughs> no, Melbourne's not that. You realise we have listeners. Melbourne, Melbourne people are amazing. I had so much, I had so much fun down there with uh, Melbourne people over the weekend. Yes, you went to a little, little conference. You and producer Shell did a presentation. We did indeed. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've heard we about it. We got to tell a very romantic story about how we got together. You heard about it? Yeah, I've heard. I've heard feedback uh, from from people who, uh, I think we're watching the live stream or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, some good, some bad. Uh-huh. And I have to admit, I agreed with some of what I heard and I also disagree with some of what I heard. So we can uh, do sit down in the <laughs> car right, park later. All right, let it, <laughs> let's, let's talk about it on air. <laughs> no. Let's have a debate. Ask me what I'm grateful for. What are you grateful for? Peter Watts. I'm Peter is awesome. I am so grateful for Peter Watts. Let me tell you a crazy story. I'm sitting in church on Peter Sabbath. Watts is, for those of you who might not know, Peter Watts is uh, doing the um, Is God for Real seminar out yes. at Gilliston Heights, over in the Newcastle Hunter region. Make sure you head on over. It is absolutely amazing uh, program that is taking place. And him and his wife are visiting our church this weekend, and they're sitting behind me in the pew. And uh, anyway, we just yeah, the service is chucking along, and then um, the kids' music uh, for the kids' story time started playing, and a little kids start coming up the front and assembling the guy next to me turns to me and goes you're on and i'm like what and he points to the run sheet and he's like yeah you're telling the kid's story and i'm like what i had no idea whatsoever and i'm like freaking out all the kids are already up the front they're waiting for someone to to stand up and so i turn to peter who's right behind me and i'm like peter do you feel like telling a kid's story right now and he's like uh 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 okay and i was like cool i'll pray for you <laughs> so he got up and he told an awesome kid story I'm, I'm really grateful for like professional speakers like peter watts so he saved me aching bacon i did bake him a cake to say thank you so yeah nice he earned it this is a reminder you are listening to the delayed broadcast here on faith fm if you would like to listen to the live show and interact with mon and myself for the breakfast show then simply go to faithfm.com Com.au and press play or use the tune in radio app. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Anyway, stay tuned. We've got a really great show coming up for you now. One, two, three. Oh, precious is the i mm-hmm. 
Welcome back, guys. That was Chelsea Moon with Nothing But The Blood Of Jesus here on Faith FM. Do get us woken up on this Monday morning. Mon, give us a clue for the quiz and let's see yeah. if that wakes us up as well. Look, I'm going to continue the quiz we started last week because it didn't get answered. We started it right at the end because you spoiled the one before. Remember you gave it away? Um, the answer was fish and you talked about going fishing. I didn't want you to forget that you stuffed it up, so I'm just reminding you now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, this is a who am I quiz. We did start it last week, so some of you might have the upper hand, but I'm going to give the clues over again because you know what? The weekend usually wipes our brains out. Um, clue number one, who am I? I mix the blood of Galileans with sacrifices. Mm-hmm. You know who this is? Mm-hmm. Write it down for me because I don't I already got it last week. Yeah, but who knows with you? Okay, good on you. Lyle knows the answer. Give us a call if you know the answer. 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. 1-800-324-843. Or you can text your guesses 0491-064-669. You can guess as many times as you like, by the way. Uh, I mean, you can't just like alphabetically go through every character in the Bible, but... <laughs> No, you just call back and guess again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you think you know your answer, and you're not sure, do you know what? Just send it in. You could be right. Lyle, I'm so nice. I really am. I bought you, you something. Oh, okay. You're going to produce a shell. It's a black orange. That looks really disgusting. It looks, I mean, it, it looks, looks dead. It looks, yeah, that's, that's exactly what my housemate described it as. But this is a, this is a special species of It looks uh, like it's orange. gone moldy already. It's a special species of navel orange, actually. It's called dulce, which if you didn't know in Italian means sweet. Okay. Um, actually, what does it look like on the inside? I, I, I think it's black. I, I think it's I'm looking black. at this. I'll tell you what it looks like. Let me describe it to you. It looks like um, weak old guacamole. It's <laughs> <is> so accurate. <laughs> Love so it. So you make guacamole. It's nice and vivid green. You put yeah. it in a bowl. You put it in the fridge. You come back a week later. You know the color that it is. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what this yeah. orange looks like. <laughs> it do, it does look like the orange of this orange. The color. It's of not it. an orange. That's a black. Has been has been um has been like they've tried to dye it black, but they didn't I, put I, enough I black ink on it. I reckon, it, so just, now I reckon they've green. just got some navel oranges and painted them so that they can sell them for more. Well, that's possible, but we shall find when we open it up because I'm pretty sure the flesh might be pitch black. I oh, really so you haven't actually seen the inside of no, this? No, I yet. haven't. No, I haven't. I only bought two, and I decided, you know what? I'll save these for. for All right, a while. the next song sure. break. Run out, grab a grab plate. A knife. We will um, mm-hmm. open this on air, and we will we tell you. Slaughter it. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine, we'll yeah, cut okay. it up. <laughs> I'll calm down, I'll calm down. <laughs> well, I have such good news stories this morning. I love Monday, because you know what happens on a Monday? All the good news from the weekend has built up, and there's just a pile of good news to share on Monday morning. This is the best thing about Monday morning. You know, there's so much good news this morning that my segment is going to be good news. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's exactly what we needed on Monday my morning. My more serious Positivity. segment is going to be going to be just Good news. This story is coming uh, out of two interesting places, Peru and Baran. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, Bahrain. Ba- I yeah. Good. Thank you. I wasn't quite sure. By by Bahrain. 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 Okay. Yeah. It Bahrain. is. It is A I not I N. Yeah. Sorry. A I not I A. Okay, these countries are not sort of like close or not even related remotely to related. Each other. Um, there, thanks to security um, officers in the city uh, where this there's a young boy lives in Peru, a video clip of a, a young boy, a student called Victor Martin Angulo Cordoba, uh, has been has been released and gone viral. Uh, this boy was doing his homework under a street light. Uh, 
I'll show you the picture here, Lyle. It's a little bit heartbreaking. You'll see it's a, it's a, it looks like a street in a third world country. Um, and there's a boy just sitting on the street, like doing his homework. He changes position a couple of times. Here he is lying on his tummy, just doing his homework. And, uh, and people were just like asking him, what on earth is happening here? And they found out that this kid, Victor, he uses a street light, um, to do his homework because there's no electricity in his family home. And there's not kid. Yeah, exactly. And it's not only because Victor's mother didn't have the money to pay, um, but there's this quite this obstacle. Apparently, she didn't have the documents to prove she owned the home, which were needed to legally install electrical services. Oh, okay. So, the, so their family home has... So, she has a home that you could actually put electricity in. Yeah, but apparently... Because when I was in Peru, I went through some suburbs, you know, some large suburbs in, uh, in the city of Lima, um, and you know many of the villages and so forth in Peru that people just lived in cardboard boxes and bits of tin. Oh yeah, this you is can't really put electricity in that. This is still a shack, like it's it's uh, but it does have the capacity. But it's a step above yeah, um, cardboard yeah. and tin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and think it's like carps. just your most basic form of like you know when you see those rough brick sort of things. Yeah, it's like that. Um, but this picture went viral and it really touched the hearts of people around the world to the point where the mayor of Moshe, which is uh, another region in Peru, uh, decided to help out. And so he assisted Rosa, the mother, throughout the process so she could obtain the deed. Um, but he also delivered school supplies to support Victor's desire to stay in school and become a police officer. But over in Bahrain, a, a billionaire importer and chocolatier – by the name of, and I'm really sorry about this. I ya- really like their chocolate in Bahrain. Yeah, yeah. He's a billionaire. <laughs> Yakub Youssef Ahmad Bara- Mubarak. Uh, he's 31 years old, and uh, he also saw this picture and was moved by the kid's determination, just his grit. Like, I mean, what kind of a kid, you know, at night is like, I'm going to go out and sit on the street, on the street lights, so I can do my homework. My homework. When I was a kid, I never did homework anyway. <laughs> yeah, I was homework. What's homework? I don't have any homework. I would have been like, I have the perfect no, excuse never, not to do homework. I don't ever remember doing homework. Wouldn't you just... Like, I don't believe it. I'm like, I go to school. You do school. The teacher's job is to teach, teach me and I do school when I'm at school. When I go home, I go fishing. I go hunting. Yeah. <laughs> I go up the bush. I build well, this kid uh, wanted, tree houses. He I was determined to get dirt. a better life. He was determined to make a better life. You know, he wanted to be a policeman, which are, which are you know, quite respected... Um, Positions there in Peru, and so that's what that's what he was aiming for. And I'm just like I'm I'm flabbergasted because if I was a kid and I didn't have light in my house, I would have thought to myself, I have the perfect excuse not to do homework. I can go tell my teacher, sorry, miss, we don't have electricity. I can't see my books, so no homework. Um, but this kid's just he's just got grit. And uh, the billionaire apparently he was reminded of his own childhood, and he flew halfway around the world to meet this kid and his family. And when he saw the condition of Victor's home and school, he decided to rebuild them both. So he's added a second story for bedrooms. Um, he's been updating the school's infrastructure. He's been adding furniture and equipping a new computer center in this ki- in Victor's honor. And uh, he also sees the opportunity to help Rosa, the mum, uh, start a new small business. So they can get a better income so they can support themselves a bit better, like teaching her how to fish, so to speak. And uh, and they even recreated the famous picture where they both um, dropped to their bellies on the sidewalk on the footpath uh, with Victor and created the the famous night scene under the street lamp and they read books together which I'll show you here isn't that sweet <laughs> him and his awesome. mate yeah, yeah just yep. on the on the floor studying doing their homework um, so you also gifted him with clothing uh, gave him a bunch of cash and uh, and gave his friend so Victor has a, a disabled friend who needed a new wheelchair. And so the billionaire um, Bahrainian um, gave the kid a new wheelchair as well. 
Let me recommend. Let me. Let me. This is a great story, but you know, one of the greatest things that you know, because we all need to be helping people out in in some of these poorer countries, mm-hmm. and Peru is a, is definitely a desperately poor country, but it is one of the most amazing countries in the world to ever visit. Yeah, Mon, you need to place this. Right, you haven't been there, have you? No, no. no. You, you have to put this right on top of your bucket list. I kind of hope I get to meet this kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think when we see, you know, those famous photos of Machu Picchu and you know Cusco and places like that, we just don't understand mm-hmm. the level of poverty that exists yep. in uh, and the gap that there is. There's a, yeah, there's a big absolutely. gap in Peru between the, the the rich and the poor because uh-huh. there are some you know fabulously wealthy suburbs as well, just amazingly wealthy suburbs. Yeah, I think this guy's done the right kind of tourism. Where he's gone over and he's decided to help out. Yep. Up his sleeves. I mean, I'm That's sure it. he dropped by Metro Picture on the way out as well. But as yeah. Um, so he's he's gone back to buy it rain, but he's also promised to return for the inauguration of the new school and the new home when they're finished being built. Um, and until then, there's going to be enough electricity to study and enough money to pay for it. And uh, yeah, it's just really great, really great story. These new friends across the globe. Um, and they had you know, the mayor come in and they had a little, you know, a little ceremony where the kid got presented with some stuff and he got like an I love by rain t-shirt. <laughs> anyway, oh, I've only got 50 seconds. I've got one more really cool story to tell. Um, this story is about the city of La Cruces in New Mexico over in the States. Uh, they were they're just a small city, about 100,000 people. And they were being told that they were going to get uh, one and a half thousand new asylum seekers uh, to their town. And so the whole city rolled up their sleeves. They first raised $600,000 after half, over half a million dollars. And then when the, when the refugees arrived, <clears throat> just made the biggest welcome party, uh, donated clothing, they did food drives, they opened up their homes, their businesses, they helped um, translating, uh, interpreting, uh, office workers pitched in and decided to help process travel documents, doctors provided medical services, lawyers provided legal aid, everything free of charge because they wanted these people to feel welcome in their new town. This town knows how to do hospitality, knows how to do Christian hospitality. A flower grows And I believe that somewhere In the darkest night A candle glows I believe for everyone Who goes astray Someone will
You'll listen to Michael Yerzaski and Martha Barlow here on Faith FM. Mon, give us another clue for the quiz. Who am I? I said, what is truth? Ooh. What is go. truth? What is truth? Very famous statement right there. Who made that uh, give us a call. question? Give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. All right, so we talked about new good news. We've got so much good news to talk about this morning. Tell me everything. Um, cigarettes. This is this is a major front page news in the Newcastle Herald. Cigarettes should be off limits in Newcastle CBD. I love it. Yeah, you, yes. you love it already. This is from uh, Heart Foundation's uh, Deborah Moore. Um, and here it goes. Mm. Um, Natalie Nelms, the Lord Mayor, is supportive of the concept. Um and you know the, it, it as Newcastle grows, of course, and buildings are being put up, and there's more people around. That means that in the same amount of space, you're having more and more secondhand smoke. Yeah, and these guys are talking about doing something about it, and I think that this is fantastic. We all need to get behind it. We need to give them as much support as we possibly can. I love it when I see local government that are actually doing something proactive and useful to the community. I think this is amazing. I really hope that this becomes a, like an Australia-wide thing where all CBDs, you're not allowed to smoke in them. There's Absolutely. like a parameter. I Absolutely. think that'd be great because you know what? And particularly like here in the trapped in there because you have all these high-rise buildings and the smoke can't like disperse like it can when you're like out in the burbs. I, I'm so into this because I hate, I hate walking down the street in the city and walking through someone's cloud of bleh and feel like I'm going to choke and die on the street. Absolutely, and you know what? This is a, this is a particular um, issue that we have here in the Hunter Newcastle region, and uh, as the Lord Mayor said, you know, the, um, the, the the local government is committed to making um, to doing whatever you know is is possible to improve the health of the local community, and this mm-hmm. would be something that would do it. And Hunter Newcastle um, region has a smoking rate of about 15%, which is well above the national average. That's huge. So we need to be doing something about that. And it was dropping, but it flatlined five years ago. Okay. And so it's time to do something new. You yeah, know, whenever absolutely. something flatlines, it's like, okay, everything that we have done up until this point um, has been as effective as it can be, so now we need to take the next step. Well, do you know what We're I'm, overdue for taking the next step. Let's take it. Do you know what I want to say? As, as someone who is obsessed with traveling, one of the things that will stick out to me and to any tourist ever it's like one of the top things that they will give as feedback when talking to their friends about any location is the cleanliness like one of the biggest complaints about a place like oh it was so filthy and one of the biggest um you know kudos to a place is like oh it's so beautiful and clean i hate going to cities where like you can smell smoke people are smoking on the street keep walking through you step out of the airport you just get hit by a wall of smoke it ruins the experience to some extent and it makes me really angry can you imagine how beloved Australia would be to tourists if they could come here and say Australia is it so smells clean. clean. Yeah, the it air is clean. fresh. It has like a sweetness to it. It's just it's such a clean place. We sh- we need to be looking at this from a tourism perspective and realize in our best interest it is t- to wipe. Well, out that's how that's things. how New Zealand has been promoting themselves for like ever, isn't it? Right, the cleanest exactly. air in the world, the freshest air in the world. You know, clean, pure, hundred percent. We need to you take know, on the Kiwis, etc., etc., etc. We do, yeah. and we can. Um, now, uh, the Hunter, Hunter Newcastle region uh, is significant because it has a 15% uh, population of smokers, which is above average. But what else is unique about our area is that we have um, one of the higher percentages of white Australians. Oh. And smoking is typically something that um, is not 
done by white Australians. It is uh, participated in by uh, Indigenous Australians and first-generation immigrants. Okay. Uh, because obviously, you know, first-generation immigrants, you know, coming in from, you know, an Asian country or other where mm-hmm. you've got 80% of yep. people smoke, yep. then uh, you can't expect that they're necessarily going to give up uh, the day they arrive. Mm-hmm. And so that is a bit of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Newcastle doesn't have a large population of either of those particular demographics, and yet the rate of smoking is still very, very high. It's interesting. It's, cause we're it like, is. It's Bougainville up here. Well, you know, <sighs> I didn't say that, but, <laughs> you know. I wish okay, they went okay, up. Okay, 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 okay. I haven't finished this story. Guess what North Sydney did last week? Uh, nothing. They banned it. But- CBD, banned it. <gasps> Are you serious? Cigarettes, banned from the CBD. I am dead serious. I am dead serious. I am this story so gets, happy right this now. This story gets better and better. And this is one of the reasons why Newcastle is looking at it. Now, of course, in North Sydney, you're going to have a, uh, a much lower percentage of people who smoke. Yeah. Uh, they did a survey. They found that 80% of uh, the residents and businesses were supportive of the idea. I'm surprised it was only 80%. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're like, yeah, 80%. Okay, that's it. That's good. Done. It's huge. Over. You're coming into the CBD? Leave your cigarettes at home. Are you mean like CBD of Sydney or CBD of North, North Sydney. Sydney? North Sydney. That is amazing. I'm so, yes. uh, uh, Applause, applause, applause all the way around for North City. That's great. Do you know what we need to be careful of now? We need to be careful that we actually have people ready to help enforce it because I hate it when they have those signs saying, do not smoke within four meters yeah, of this. And, and, and somebody's smoking it. <laughs> yeah. And everyone else is too scared to say something. They need to have people to actually help enforce this now. Yeah, I, that's for sure. And, uh, of course, I was um, flying in from Melbourne yesterday, came in through the uh, Newcastle airport, and, you know, you find people, they're out in the car park. They have to go out into the car park over the other side of the car mm-hmm, park good. before they get to an area where they're allowed to smoke. I think it's good. fantastic. It needs to be the same in, in all of our airports. Yep, absolutely, 100% agree. Okay, so, of course, um, if you're a smoker, you're twice as likely to die from a heart attack. Um, it doubles your chance of smoke. It is um, primary contributed to cancer, diabetes, renal disease, eye disease, asthma, emphysema, bronchitis, and the list could go on and on and on and on and on. But this legislation is seen as being supportive of smokers um, who want to give up. 80% of people who do smoke, 80% of that 15% actually want to give up. And this is something that will help them to, help them to quit. You know, you just keep it, it, we have shown over the last 30 years, that the more you tighten down the screws with legislation, the more people are in, you know, find the willpower to actually take those steps and give up. And uh, that's just, you know, we've got 30 years of evidence behind us. I do wish that when, when they have the, um, the refugees and the immigrants who come into Australia, you know, when they go through a little process where they have to learn about Australia and they have to pass competency tests, yep. I wish they would also explain to them. Only really low socioeconomic yeah. people smoke and, yeah. you you know, with like some graphic sort of little cartoons showing them, you know, this is not really an Australian way and uh, you won't be considered as culturally accepted as it is in your home country. I wish they could just, you know, explain to them how it is. I think they sort of, I think I think they, they cotton on fairly quickly. Okay. Um, when they see, you know, just how or, or at least they Australia should is. they should say, "Hey, look, Australia leads the world in this area." Yeah. You do know that. I mean, they we should are, at least we, tell we, them we where they can get like the quit here. services. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Um, this is Australia. We don't like it. Um, this is where you can get some help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a great idea. fully supporting you and giving it up. Okay, so this is uh, supportive of smokers because 80% want to actually give up. It's also supportive, obviously, of ex-smokers who don't want environmental triggers. 
Um, it's supportive of non-smokers who don't want to walk through that cloud of blue smoke while they are walking down the street and mm. suddenly, you know, I, I see it coming and I, ha- I actually hold my breath yeah. until I walk past. Yeah. And sometimes I, I get that first whiff and I'm like, where did that come from? It's like, and it's like, don't breathe, don't breathe, mm. you know, until you walk past it. And it makes you, makes you, it gives you a bad impression of the person. Yeah, it does. Um, and they're not necessarily a bad person. It's just, you know, first impressions are important ones. You want to make a good impression on, uh, on the people around you. Um, but this is, yeah, part of an ongoing movement towards a smoke-free society. The next place after uh, Newcastle CBD that uh, this particular region is looking at targeting is, cop this, Cessnock. CBD. Cessnock CBD. Cessnock Main Street. Are you serious? Love yes, it. Because Cessnock is the gateway to the Hunter Valley wine region. Oh, okay. And the heavy mm-hmm. population of smokers in Cessnock is giving the wine region a bad look. Yes. Yep. And so the wine region is uh, is is like, oh, this is making this is looking bad for us. Let's tourism. Um, I told you right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. You. There tourism. is money to be made right here. Mm-hmm. Um. The wine industry is another thing that I've, I've got a whole story on here, but anyway, we, we, we might not get time to it. Okay, um, Tamworth banned it in their main street in 2016. Um, and, of course, that was the year that the New South Wales government, this is new statewide, you know, four metre, you can't smoke within four metres of a door of a uh, publicly used building. Um, you can't smoke within 10 metres of children's play um, equipment. You can't smoke in outdoor dining areas. Um, sports grounds, etc., etc., etc. And it. so, what we've got is this has been a process over many years that needs to continue mm-hmm. because it has been successful. Yes. We have the research, we have the background. Prohibition works. We know that it works. Let's continue. Just you know, tightening it down, tight. Just just moving forward, moving forward, moving forward until smoking is eradicated from this country. What an amazing country it would be if we were able to do that. Imagine the good health that we would enjoy. And of course, God wants us to always have good health.
Welcome back to Faith FM. You're listening to 87.6, 87.8, or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. And this is Lawson uh, continuing our correspondence from the Faith and Science Conference down here in uh, Currumbong, New South Wales. And across from me, I have Dr. John Ashton. How are you, John? Yeah, good. Thanks. Perfect. Amazing. And now you've been presenting here at the uh, the Faith and Science Conference. Uh, you've been presenting, uh, you know, you've been doing a number of talks. Uh, how, how has your experience been so far? Well, I've learned heaps of new stuff as well, as well as being reassured in my faith as well. And that's been very encouraging for me and to meet these other um, scientists that have been doing research in the area of origins that confirm the biblical origin picture that we read in the Bible, that's just so encouraging. Mm, that is awesome. And now you yourself have been um, doing some presentations here yeah. and you've been talking about the origin of a living cell um, and what, what that's like. Where does that come from? What, what that looks like um, and, and everything to do with that. And so I, I just want to get into that a little bit, unpack um, what you had been talking about uh, as a part of the conference. And yes, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the origin of a living cell. Now, the first question I want to ask you about it is, you know, what is needed? You know, what what is the material that is needed for, you know, a, a living cell? What needs to be present for that kind of thing to, to come together? Well, the problem of how the first living cell arose is a significant issue for people who do not believe in God. Because as we understand now what constitutes a living organism and the complexity of the requirements of a living organism, it's become very, very clear that such a complex system could not arise by known natural chemistry or biochemistry. Uh, The reason for this is that The claimed origin of a cell is supposed to have first formed two and a half billion years ago or or longer, up to 3.8 billion years ago, so a, a very long time ago. And the standard scenario is that the that lightning and ultraviolet light uh, reacted with um, basic uh, elements and simple compounds that were found in what is described as a primordial soup, although nobody really exactly knows what the composition of this might have been. But mm. the idea is that somehow uh, particular chemical reactions that don't normally occur were able to occur under some extreme conditions and that these new chemicals somehow formed life and uh, formed a living uh, cell and that that living cell over a period of subsequent billions of years underwent uh, mutations that enabled it to change into more complex organisms and ultimately into all the different types of life that we have here. So that's the standard scenario. Now, scientists have have attempted to overcome the big problem of the fact that the types of compounds that are found in a living cell are long polymer molecules. They're what we call polymer molecules. So They are molecules where we have long chains of carbon uh, joined together that are carrying 
other components on the other bonds of the the carbon because carbon has four linkages that it can bond to. Now, for these long-chain molecules to form, um, we can only generally uh, produce these in the laboratory and with certain catalysts under very controlled conditions, very different from the conditions found in nature. In fact, uh, these long polymer molecules in the presence of water tend to break down into shorter segments. And the reason is mm. that these molecules are so long, they're sort of bulky and stable and they need, uh, they vibrate, they have vibrational energy and in the presence of water they break down. Now, the chemical reactions that are required to form these long-chain polymer molecules require the removal of water from a chemical reaction. Well, we know from Le Chatelier's principle that a reaction that requires the removal of water is not going to go very well in water. <laughs> and so the whole idea of these large polymer molecules forming in the pine noodle soup just doesn't fit the chemistry that we know today. The other aspect of it is that for any simple structure to form, that is able to reproduce, it has to then be able to protect itself from the environment, the harsh environment. So we have a lot of um, compounds around that would otherwise be toxic. We have radiation such as ultraviolet radiation, again, which tends to break chemical bonds and hence the reason why we get skin cancers and so forth. And the and other simple compounds might form like acids and these sort of compounds that would attack any sort of uh, structure that was trying to, to form. And so we need large quantities, millions in fact, of these identical polymer molecules to have formed at the same time to produce some sort of protective environment for the first living organism to occur. Now, as well as the problem of trying to produce all these uh, vast numbers of all these different types of polymer molecules, and they fit into the classifications of proteins and fats and sugars, these are very long-chain sugars, they're very different to the sugar we eat on the table. Mm -hmm. And once you... Uh, so there's the massive problem of forming those, but then there's the, the problem that the organism has to somehow reproduce then. Now, in order to reproduce, it has to have some little factory that can remake its components. Now, what we've observed today, that those little factories are called ribosomes, mm -hmm. and they're extremely complex. They involve hundreds of thousands of atoms arranged in a particular structure because these have to read the blueprint of the cell to be able to make the next copy of the cell. Mm -hmm. And so that is a major problem. So we have one particular little chemical factory has to be produced that involves very complex molecular structures and there's no way these structures can form by any natural processes. They're much more complex than the po just the basic polymer structures. They're made up of an, a large number of different uh, protein-type uh, structures um, and so they're, they're quite complex. And they also involve other atoms as well. Mm. Now, as well as that, somehow there has to be the blueprint for the 
constructing the new cell, the replica, uh, the the next uh, the offspring of this first living creature. Um, there has to be a blueprint or a plan. And, of course, we know what that is in all the living cells that, and organisms that we observe. That's called DNA, and it's a code. But the code of the simplest cell that we know is massive. It involves something like 570 letters or pieces of code in mm. that code. And so this is a major problem. So we've got a number of problems there in that we've got to form large numbers of very long-chain polymer molecules that somehow have to come together, and we have to form millions of identical molecules of all different types. Mm. So this is a huge problem. So we're, we're looking at, you know, a simplest, uh, simple cell might have 50 million plus different long-chain molecules wow. in it. And this is a huge number. So all these have to form at the same place at the same time using chemistry that we know mm. doesn't work in water. Then we have to have the code form and then that represents that cell and then we have to have the ribosome or the code reader system form, in other words, to read it. Now, even if we had all those things form, it would be dead. Yeah. It wouldn't be alive. Mm. This is the, the, another fascinating thing that is often overlooked, that we could take, for example, an existing cell, like, say, an E. coli, which is a simple little bacteria, doesn't have a, a nucleus, and we could just put a tiny little drop of toluene on its membrane and make a little hole in its membrane. Now, making that little hole disrupts a couple of uh, chemical functions, puts them out of um, disequilibrium, and they actually come to equilibrium. So that little part of the reaction stops, and that sets up a chain reaction, which leads to all the other action, all the other reactions no longer being in a state of yes. uh, disequilibrium. In other words, they're... They're not out of balance. They start getting into balance. And once they're in balance, the cell dies. Yes. You see, the reason why something is alive is because there are hundreds of chemical reactions that are out of balance. Now, what I mean by that is that compound A has to be reacting to produce compound B, has to be mm. reacting to produce compound C, to produce compound D and so forth, and etc., etc., etc. Just the right concentration to produce the next compound at just the right concentration to produce compound Y, which then produces compound A again. So it's a loop. And everything has to be... And once any one of those reactions goes to e uh, equilibrium, and balances out, the whole chain stops, mm -hmm. the organism dies. Yeah. And so going back to our little E. coli model, of which we could do in the lab, we have a complete organism. All the bits are there. The cell membrane, the ribosome, all the DNA, and you know the other components of the cell, they're all there, they're all ready made. Yeah. But we can't make it alive again. Yeah, we can't start it up. So there are some ma there, there, these are major problems for anyone trying to um, explain the origin of life by natural process. And, and, and that's why when people like Richard Dawkins have been interviewed uh, and, and really pushed and said, well, look, you know, how can you explain the, the first life forming? 
and they thought, well, uh, maybe it came here from outer space. Mm, yeah. But that really doesn't change anything because no matter where we are in the universe, we believe the same laws of physics and chemistry mm-hmm. apply. And so you're going to have the same problem no matter where you go in the universe. Um, you're not going to form a living system based on the known carbon chemistry that we uh, observe today. So this is why when we read the uh, the textbooks, the evolutionary textbooks, they'll talk about 2,500 billion years ago, um, there was some lightning and, um, you know, and, and some uh, occurrence in the primordial suit and the, the first cell form. But they don't say how. Why? Because there's no known mechanism mm. that it could form. And their argument is, well, it must have happened because we're here. So that's, that's yeah, the only argument that they've, they've got. They're saying, well, somehow it must have happened because, you know, evolution has occurred. As a matter of fact, NASA... Uh, the American Space Agency defines life as a self-replicating organism capable of uh, evolution. <laughs> That's how they <laughs> de- de- describe life it- itself. That's so but, interesting. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's it's really fascinating where we say that God created, and really that's the only viable explanation on the basis of all the known chemistry that we have today. It's absolutely impossible. I know, so I use that word absolutely. Mm. Absolutely That's impossible. That's something I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is the, you know, because it gets thrown out there, oh, yeah, but ultimately there, there are still people who hold this view. But, you know, based on what we know, what, what's the probability of that happening, that all these things come together and then all of a sudden it turns into a living cell? The, the probability is just so large that if the entire universe was a primordial soup the chances of it happening still wouldn't happen Mm. and that is like if we filled the volume of the universe with with atoms and one of the reasons for this is that just to produce a a single viable um, bioactive protein when we do the, the calculations of the order of the structure of the amino acids out of the 20 basic amino acids that come together, just to form one, we end up with a probability of 1 in 10 to the power 190 <laughs> as a basic calculation. Wow. Now, to give you an idea of how big that is, it's estimated that there are only 10 to the power 80 atoms in the known universe. So if there were as many universes, the same size as ours, as there are atoms in the universe, then the total number of atoms that would be in all those universes would only be 10 to the power 160. And so the chances of if someone let off an atom with a little red dot on it somewhere in those 10 to the 80 universes, the chances of us finding that first go would be 1 in 10 to the power 160. Now, that is actually a better chance than the chance of one of these amino acids, uh, proteins, forming by chance. So when we look at this and the complexity of the structure... Uh, we can see it, it's absolutely impossible. Mm. Well, that is so interesting. And I think, you know, ultimately this just points us back to, you know, a creator. This just points us back it's to powerful someone evidence has to. 
for a super intelligent creator and that we are supernatural because mm. life does not fit into the known natural mechanistic scenarios that we teach in science today. It is wow. supernatural. Well, Dr. John Ashton, thank you so much for your time. We're going to be continuing on with the uh, the Creation Science Faith and Science Conference here. Um, but we're going to have more interviews coming uh, over the next period of time. Um, but thank you for listening, and uh, we have a great show coming up after this.
You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Oh 